Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. I'm Rob Woods and this is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, enjoy their job and make a bigger difference even during the pandemic. If your job includes fundraising from trusts and foundations and you're interested in ideas that might help at this stage in the pandemic, then I hope you'll find today's episode interesting and useful because I'm about to share part of a recent interview I conducted with an outstanding fundraiser named Andy Watts, who is head of trust and foundation fundraising for Sue Ryder. If you've read my free ebook, Power Through the Pandemic, you'll remember he is one of the very successful fundraisers I interviewed for ideas. In the book, I explore the tactics that Andy and his team had carried out in the first two months of the pandemic, which helped achieve some fabulous fundraising results. And in this episode, we discuss a range of things that Andy and his team have been doing before and during the crisis to build long-term positive relationships with funders who care about his cause. This includes not only ideas for how and when to seek help from existing supporters, but also ideas for finding new connections to -to hard-to-reach trusts and for helping funders feel wonderfully appreciated. I've found talking to Andy never fails to strengthen my resolve to go the extra mile, and I hope you find this conversation helpful too. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by Bright Spot Mastery Programmes. So if you need to increase income in corporate partnerships or major donor and trust fundraising, these programmes will help. As well as the advanced strategies you learn on the training days, you receive one-to-one coaching to help you put those powerful techniques into practice. To find out more about the Corporate Mastery and Major Gifts Mastery programmes, head over to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Andy Watts, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Rob. Uh, Welcome to the interview. Uh, So in a moment, I'd love to get on to some um, discussions about trusts and foundation fundraising but just before we get into that how's uh, life in lockdown been treating you? <laughs> yeah it's it's been an interesting time but uh, trying to really appreciate it as much as possible having two two young children trying to make the most of of that time with them so uh, we're doing okay. Good, good. Yes, um, sim- similar at, at my end as well. So I've really appreciated various conversations we've had over the years. You've helped me on, on a number of occasions understand distinctions about trust and foundation fundraising better. You are head of trust fundraising at Sue Ryder. And um, I guess my first question is, what has been your approach to the pandemic so far? in the first four months in terms of your understanding of what was going on for the trust and foundations as they reacted and then moving on to your approach with your team on behalf of your charity yes so it it felt like yeah it just all escalated so quickly didn't it and and within yeah the the news kind of starting to come out from china and then uh, suddenly uh, yeah it just all got really real and 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 our, our response really was to just look at um our our warmest trust uh, supporters really that those had given in the past uh, couple of years uh, to us and just get talking to them as soon as we could really and and really just to to check in to see uh, how they were doing to recognize that this this thing had happened to all of us we were all in the same boat 
and just to acknowledge that really so we really started those calls pretty soon once we were in uh lockdown and and we also just wanted to ask them about what they were thinking really how how they were were uh planning to uh respond and to to kind of i suppose get in early really and and we we had some uh key messages that we were starting to uh develop and things were moving quickly so we we did introduce those into the conversation but it was really a a kind of a, a starter really so yeah we, we were on the phone a lot really and and just having having those conversations so I am a firm believer that having more proactive conversations with supporters of any kind tends to be a good thing for a fundraiser to do. But I, I am especially aware that many trusts and foundations can appear not to want to talk to you so much. Sometimes the information on their website can appear to want to keep more of an arm's length relationship. What's your approach to that? Were all of them happy to talk to you? I, I know that this is the foundations that had already supported rather than ones you were making in cold approaches to. But what's your approach to that objection? Some people would say is, no, no, they don't want to talk to you. You've, you've got to fill in the form and you've got to do it by email. Absolutely. I, I, I think our, our experience has been that certainly for the, the calls that, that I've made, I don't think there was anyone who, who said they you know, didn't want to talk to me. Uh, and I think the situation as well has has meant that that people really do want to talk and they are kind of interested to how how we uh, were responding and and what was happening and just just to have that connection really and a practice that we put in place i think that has helped increase our comfort levels with phone calls in our team is that we we make sure that every time we we get a gift of any level we will pick up the phone and thank uh, that supporter so I, I think that's a great way of kind of being able to do a call without, you know, asking for anything. And uh, that that has just meant that we've we've been building those relationships. And, and as you say, because they are trust that have given to us before, there, there's that um, natural connection there. So uh, so that's uh, certainly uh, helped. But I've had some great conversations and, and just people really sharing how much they're um, in often is in several cases their local hospice, as local Sioux Rider hospice um, means to them and their community, and how you know their local vicar has been the chaplain there, and how they've had family and friends who have been cared for there, and just that that solidarity with us. Mm. Yes, and I guess the more you have those kinds of conversations, the more it becomes normal that you would want to have more conversations of any kind with those organisations, and and uh, so it's a it's a positive self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely, yeah. And I'd say another important thing that we did was to to, to look at the, the funders we had and, and kind of had it before we made the calls to think about what we might, what they might be able to do for us. So if obviously our first kind of focus was checking in on a human level and making sure you know they were all okay and how they were managing but then we knew if the conversation got on to uh, as it often did well you know what do you need then based on our relationship with them to think through well well what could that be so just to give an example we had uh, several trusts that we had uh, forward pledges on so maybe we were in the first year grant and we had um two more years to to come so 
for, for in that case, we went to them, I, I went to a funder and said, do you think you could release the next two years of our grant? So there was like a 50,000 pounds worth, a two year pledge there. And I, I made the ask uh, about that. They took it to their trustee board and that really informed for them part of how they decided to respond to the pandemic really. So they, they awarded that to us, they gave us the pledge two years early, like the full pledge, and that was fifty thousand. You know, when when cash flow was so important, that was released to us uh, now. Wow, that makes such a difference, doesn't it, um, to the runnings of your whole hospice and the level of pressure your whole fundraising team is under, and that kind of the confidence and rapport with which make to make that kind of ask in the right tone it's so much less likely to have been possible if you had checked in with them with an email to say, I hope you're doing okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and nothing beats like speaking to them and, and, and in a fast moving situation, like, like the pandemic where everything was thrown up in the air that you, it's only through talking to them, you're going to know where they're at, know how they've been affected, like in, in terms of their, their kind of, investments that that's been obviously a big big issue and some trusts haven't had much as much money to give out so just knowing what their position is you can it then can just inform that request to them because you you know where they're at I can then say could could you help us in this way yes and although one thing I might try and do is pick your brains about generally speaking how our trust and foundations doing right now what seem to be the the patterns a wise thing you once said to me is you can see the overall trends, but really knowing something about one one trust doesn't mean at all what the other is going on for the other trust. Because, for instance, they might have an entirely different investment portfolio or risk threshold or approach to their flexibility of applying their criteria. So, again, unless you're talking to each one on an individual level, you're never going to be able to react to to how that particular individual or that particular trust is doing. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's a danger in making assumptions and and trying to, yeah, apply one trust experience to the other. So, like you say, just tr- treat them individually. And 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 we've talked about that, I guess, for a long time now. In in kind of trust fundraisers and and kind of adopting perhaps that more major donor approach and and i and i think that that's more important than ever is is just to treat them as a as an individual and uh kind of seek to understand them yes and you know there's quite a lot of things about the major donor approach that i have long felt that successful trust fundraisers do this is one element of it you know, the philosophy of treating them as an individual, you know, has their own situation, fears, hopes, needs, motivations. And within that, you know, you can best respond to that if you have conversations rather than keep the communications at arm's length. Apart from the phone calls, are there any other tactics that you and your team try to implement that would make sense to most major donor fundraisers, but you think many trust fundraisers don't necessarily apply? Yeah, I, I suppose there's there's a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, we um, have uh, put in place, uh, well, or we ran a webinar, which um, which I, I know uh, a, a number of charities have 
um, have been doing and uh, that's that worked really well for us so so our webinar we we did with our chief executive and our director of nursing and we invited our trusts major donors and corporates that have given 100k plus so it was quite a a, a, a um, exclusive group but we actually had a 50 percent take up to that which is in incredible and when you compare it to what you might see in a face-to-face -face event uh, and and the and the feedback was um excellent uh, it was uh, just really positive about how they felt sue Ryder had responded to the 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 situation and what had been achieved and and that that feeling that you know they 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 felt that sue Ryder should like other hospices get get more funding from from government but also that they they were you know very supportive themselves and we actually had one it was very timely because we had one foundation that were they were meeting that evening to consider a hundred thousand pound grant and they came their their um grants manager came to the webinar and and obviously that he was able to take that to the trustee meeting and tell them about it and they they awarded that hundred thousand grant so i i think it could have only have helped the uh the the decision and um i'd also say something we've just done recently as part of a stewardship is um a uh a, a postcard to our trust that have responded and given to the emergency appeal kind of very simply done where we've just got a, a photo uh, like a lovely photo of a, a sue rider nurse on the front and then on the the back it's a message that you know you've you've given me the strength to carry on so the nurse speaking to to them and that is going to be signed by uh, several members of our um hospice nursing team so we've matched it according to trusts that have, say supported a particular hospice uh, and and we're sending those out to the trust it, it's just yeah again trying to create that kind of personal touch um particularly as many are kind of have supported their local hospice to get given that sense of uh connection yeah so i love these tactics congratulations on the the success of the webinar by the way i mean we can't quantify all of the success but at, at its simplest it's a it's a wonderful good appropriate stewardship thing to do to the generous people who've already supported but to have the icing on the cake that you can see that it clearly helped get that other very large grant um that's very nice to have as well clearly i think lots of the ideas to do with good relationship building they're not that astonishing are they i i, I try not to use the cliche about <laughs> this is this is not uh rocket science but and yeah i find it's it's not so much about the creativity. It's about caring enough to follow through and execute these techniques really well and get the detail right, which does just take planning in a relationship building internally, you know, picking up the phone to your colleague in that particular hospice to ask them if they'd mind signing it rather than just sending an email, getting it right and actually making sure that the detail is correct so that the the right people sign from the right geographical area and so on. That's actually more about being organised and internal relationships and hard work than creativity. Do you have any insights for the listener on on actually getting the execution right yeah absolutely uh, we've built a, a kind of a good foundation in terms of those internal relationships and we've had 
since since I kind of started at Sue Rider, we we put in place a regular kind of email newsletter, which went to kind of key internal colleagues. So in our case, that was uh, the hospice directors and the um, the hospice uh, kind of head of fundraising. So. And that was a kind of a, an update which was telling them how much we'd raised for their hospice from trusts and foundations, the the applications we'd made. And we also often had like a spotlight. So we give a bit of detail each time on a particular trust that we were uh, supported by. And often these trusts were regional ones. So they would be the, the great and the good of, say, Bedfordshire, uh, which is where we have one of our hospices. So they, they might recognise the people or certainly know of the companies or, or institutions that they're connected with. So, so that has kind of really built that link and that knowledge. So we've been able to get key messages through on that about what we do. So we will emphasize that, you know, that we raise funds for in-budget items rather than additional, which can sometimes be a misperception people have about trust fundraising. So, so that's been really that's helped me build build my relationship with the hospice directors because I've had that that point of contact with them, and then over time I've I've just involved them really in in thanking and uh, again another example that we've done during the pandemic is uh, we we've uh, I've asked um, our hospice director to do video thank you so on their smartphone to to shoot a, a, a short video message thanking personally a particular trust that has uh, given and then we've um, I've emailed that to the trust uh, and and we had a really lovely message back from a a, a trust to um, or actually someone yeah someone who influenced a, a gift from a new trust for us and just said that they were really you know gratified by by receiving that personal message and so it's just yeah, we know that people, I think as fundraisers, often our role is that, yeah, to be that bridge to between the funder and the frontline services. And so when I think you can bring them in contact with the frontline, that means a, a, a lot. And and I just say it's, it's, yeah, making sure we close the feedback loop. And so, for example, the 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 feedback that I received from the the funder, I then shared that with my colleague who had done the video, and it's basically saying to them, you know, thank you. This is this is what it means, and 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 I think that just kind of encourages them to think, oh yeah, this it's worth doing it uh, for me. Yeah, that's such a a great feeling. I I can imagine that person getting it. Would probably was, you know, maybe they're very brave and confident about doing a film on their smartphone but but for many of us that probably was quite a big deal to f find the energy and the concentration and a bit of courage to make that smartphone film but then for you to then forward that feedback that must feel great to them and I, I absolutely agree it's going to make it really feel worthwhile and so they deserve to feel good about it and for the long term it can only increase the chances that more and more of these good fundraising tactics can can happen with that same person in the future absolutely in terms of the smartphone tactic uh, obviously many many fundraisers are using that tactic more but i i think it's uh it's not for the faint-hearted is there any are there any top tips you've discovered about how to make that tactic of a short thank you film from yourself or better still from a frontline services person to a funder any top tips about 
making that work in practice? Absolutely. I think uh, it's kind of always helpful to share a uh, example if you have one and obviously because we've, we've done a fair few uh, now just to give them an idea and, and we're we're often I'll, I'll give a, a kind of an outline script as well and we're talking about you know a 30 second video so so not speaking for for a long time but yeah just giving them an indication of what we would like them to say and then just reminding them to you know to, to shoot in landscape I think that's often people can forget uh, that uh, so you don't have yeah the uh, the black bars down the, the the side, and just yeah ensure that you have some kind of good good lighting as well. But it's I think the like I've heard a um, like several funders say how much it's appreciated and it's not about them being professional and polished actually that takes away from them that what they really appreciate is actually the the homemade quality of it the the fact that someone has taken the time and effort to uh to personalize it in such a way of, of like a, a a video where they can see the person it just i think it just increases that connection with the the charity Yes, and I guess a key thing is there's a world of difference between making that film generically mm. and making a film where in the first 10 seconds they thank that funder by name. Yeah, absolutely. So I had um, uh, one, one trust I did a video for and, and they just said that, because I think in, in that video's case, we, the, it might have been at the end that we had the personal message so, um, to, to them. And, and so she, she just said how much how special it was that it was um, completely personalised. And just going back to something else you said, I think one of the hardest things for many fundraisers is a frustration when internally they can feel like some of their colleagues just don't get fundraising. They don't, they don't care. They just take the money for granted. They don't see why they could or should spend any time doing extra information for supporters and so on. And that's really hard for many fundraisers' situations. It seems to me, though obviously fundraisers work hard on building relationships with their supporters, it seems to me your mindset is to work every bit as hard on building internal relationships and to do it not just with a kind of the philosophy that this is the right thing to do, but to do it in an organised way, to decide, to create that communication, you know, technique that goes goes around regularly it seems to me that your mindset is to work and think about building relationships internally as much as most fundraisers would think about building relationships externally and I wonder if you could just speak a tiny bit more about that approach I know it's not easy for lots of fundraisers but if you feel you've learned anything over the years in the need to do that or, or the tactics of how you do it um, just hearing your take on that would be useful, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think the kind of internal colleagues are kind of so key to your your success, really. And, and we trust fundraisers, as we all know, that the the, the need for 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 getting detailed information on on projects and and being able to deliver it that that's the 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 kind of bread and uh, butter, really. And uh, and and I've I found that if you like I said, if you close the feedback loop, that is the, a key thing, I think, is that so often we 
we ask for all this information, but then we don't go back and say what we've done with it. And we don't say if it's resulted in anything. And so, like I mentioned with the, the email update that we put in place at Sue Rider, that's really designed to close that loop and to say, well, this is what happened. And thanks to you, we were able to achieve this and, and really get that sense that we're working for them. Uh, that that, that um, I find has worked really well. And, and just involving them as well. And, and what we do, what we've done with that update is to um, sometimes make asks of them to say, well, do you do you know this person? We, we know that they're, you know, uh, they um, live in, in Yorkshire and they're, uh, that, for example, uh, and uh, in, in one case, we we had our hospice director say, oh, well, yeah, this this couple who have this, you know, large grant making trust, their head of clinical services, her, her colleague actually is in a book club with them. So so we would have never have found that out if she hadn't, you know, we, we did a little bio of them and said, you know, th this is who they are, this is their trust. And so she spoke to her colleague and her colleagues then spoke to her friends um, who were, and, and we ended up getting a, a quarter of a million pound gift over five years from this trust. And this is the trust that we've been trying to reach for probably a couple of years before that and, and had had a couple of unsuccessful applications to them when we've gone direct. So it was one of those situations where they were fundamental to, they really gave because of her. There was no doubt about that. And so we, we arranged for uh, a card and flowers uh, for her because, you know, she went, you know, above and beyond. So it's, it's, yeah, I think it is like, like you were saying before, it's a kind of applying the, the the same things you would do in terms of external relationships just just using that approach internally as well and treating your colleagues um as if they uh what they are a key key relationship for you yes that makes sense andy so um i always get so much from our conversations i really appreciate your advice but also all the examples you use to bring it to life uh, thank you ever so much. I look forward to speaking to you again in another conversation about fundraising very soon. Bye-bye, Andy. Well, I hope you found Andy's approach to relationship building and to trust fundraising was helpful. If so, please remember to subscribe to the podcast now so that you don't miss out on all the other episodes that we have planned. If you need to improve your results in high-value fundraising for your charity, then do check out our Major Gifts Mastery Programme which is designed for trust and major donor fundraisers, and also our corporate mastery program, if partnerships is your main focus. Over the last six years, these six-month programs have helped hundreds of fundraisers to improve their skills, confidence, and fundraising results. The next programs start in October 2020, and in this latest version, I've included powerful strategies I've learned from dozens of outstanding fundraisers that I've interviewed in the last three months. The program is designed to help you overcome the challenges of the pandemic and achieve valuable major gifts and corporate partnerships for your charity. If you'd like to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. I'll also put a link in the episode notes for this podcast. And if you want to get in touch or share this episode on, thank you very much for your help as it really helps these ideas to reach more fundraisers in more charities. Andy and I would love to hear from you. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Andy is at AndyWatts27 and I'm at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thank you so much for listening today. 
and I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot strategies next week.